Hey, this is Alex Skolnick of Testament and Alex Skolnick Trio and more. You are listening to the Thunder Underground. Welcome to episode 273 of the Thunder Underground podcast. Trent and Jason here. And this week, I think it's safe to say that we've got a good one. Yeah, I mean, to quote Joe Pesci, this is the silver tuna, Marv. <laughs> That's right. the one. That's right. Alex Skolnick <laughs> of Testament is here. Is that something you thought we'd be saying? No, no, I mean, it's not. We've had on guys from Kiss and Def Leppard and all that, but it's just—I don't know. It just—it just seems like when you think of some of these bands from our youth, it just seems like it just—I don't know. It just felt out of reach for some reason. Yeah, I know. Well, it's you know, it's what we grew up on, but yeah. also it's you know the the quality of it's coming out today from the same guys. Yeah, you know, it's just amazing. Um, it's full circle. This came together rather quick, right? So it was uh, it was definitely something to behold, to behold, and it uh, went as we would have wanted it to, right? We're gonna talk a little bit about Alex and Testament here in a bit, and play some music. But first, we gotta let you know that we're sponsored by Sunset Tattoo, Med Farm, and Deb Concerts. Med Farms is a dispensary located in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. At 24683 East Highway 51, we've got a huge selection. You can see it all online at leafly.com. Follow them on their Facebook, MedFarm. It's P-H-A-R-M. They're on Instagram at MedFarmOK, and their website is MedFarmOK.com. They've also got a drive through If you call ahead or send them a text or an email or however you want to do it, you can place your order that way. Then go right through their drive through And, of course, don't forget to tell them, Thunder Underground sent you, or mention our name, they'll give you 10% off your first order, which is very cool, and they're also always running other specials, so follow them on their socials, and above all else, they're cannabis with a cause, because 30% of their proceeds are going to build no-kill animal shelters, which is very cool, and like I repeatedly say, there's no other dispensaries around here that are putting a third of their profits towards something that noble. There's no other nothing. Yeah, that's true. I'm sure there's some nonprofits doing good, but as far as like businesses like that, you don't ever exactly. It's always like ten percent or something, which right. is still great, but I mean nearly a third of your profits. Yep. Come on, so call up Med Farm and tell them we sent you. Also, Sunset Tattoo, tattoo shop, right here in Midtown Tulsa, thirty-one forty-six East Fifteenth Street. Give them a call. Set up a time to go in there. They've been doing this for over 25 years. They've got a ton of experience. They've done a lot of great work. We know Jason knows people personally. That have, we know people personally. I know CJ. Right. You know, from Grind has got tattoos from Jake. And you've got uh, family members. Family members, yeah. Yeah. Get on their Facebook or their Instagram to see their work firsthand. Their tattoos are done good and proper. They're state licensed, of course. And above all else, they're mother approved. So... Give Sunset Sunset Tattoo a call or a message or whatever you want to do so you can get in there and check them out and tell them that we sent you. And finally, DEB Concerts, our favorite promoter right here in Tulsa because they've brought in shows like Saxon, Last in Line, Bisto Blanco, Striper, Junkyard, LA Guns, Warrant, Winger, a long-ass list. Booking shows at the Ideal Ballroom downtown, the BOK Center, 
their poison show should be announced at some point when the rescheduled date will be. We'll let you know when we find out. But coming up August 15th, Dead Metal Society at the Ideal Ballroom with Rocket Science, which is very cool. And then October 23rd, LA Guns will be returning to the Ideal Ballroom. And once we know the openers on that, we'll let you know. Follow DEB Concerts on Facebook. And check out the website, debconcerts.com, for ticket info on those shows. And, of course, any new shows or reschedules that come up, they'll let you know. And, of course, we will let you know as well. DEB Concerts also books the Roadhouse Stage of Rocklahoma. So you'll be hearing about that in 2021. Once again, thank you to DEB Concerts. All right, now getting into the, the nitty-gritty here. Let's uh, right. play some music before we talk about Testament, I guess. Definitely. We're going to play a band right here out of Tulsa. We've played them before, but it's been a while. And it's very fitting for this episode. Yeah. So we figured, fuck it, why not? Yeah. Got an old-school attitude. You know, basically they've been around a couple years now, two or three years maybe. Blind Oath. And this is their song, Blind Oath.
Blind Oath from Blind Oath, keeping in the tradition, you know, there of Iron Maiden or Bad Company. Who else? I know um, there's I know there's a three or four. Oh, fuck. Obvious ones that I'm forgetting. Black um, Sabbath. Right. Um, uh, Anvil. Um, I completely forgot about that. Fucking uh, Metallica. I'm pretty sure I was on all Metallica. Um, but they never. Ugly Kid Joe. It. I really like their. That I really like that subtitled song. That was cool. That band Dawn Patrol. That was a good one. So yeah, you know, lots of good shit. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I got confused there for a second because I thought this was real. I was trying to be funny, <laughs> I but I got you. I got you. <laughs> you did. And that doesn't happen all the time. So good on me. <laughs> but anyway, the point is, Blind Oath, it doesn't matter what the song title is because all their songs kick ass. Yeah, they're fucking great. They were even on, uh, what was it, Good Day Tulsa last year oh, that's in the right. morning. I mean, when you when are you going to see thrash metal on a local morning TV, TV news show? Yeah. Fucking love those guys. And uh, this song is on the new Vibration from Tulsa compilation from Horton Records. Uh, it's a great comp. Uh, if you get the cassette, it, it's a pink cassette. It's fucking rad. Was the vinyl pink? I didn't get it. I don't know. Well, I'm just, do you remember if it was or not? I'm not sure. Well, all I'm saying is, so. yeah, it's a great comp. A lot of different, diverse stuff on here. Uh, and Blind Oath fit right in. So, uh, and they fit right into this episode and what we're talking about. Good thrashy shit. So, fuck yeah. Yeah. They opened up for Night Demon as well. Right. I think more than once, but. Anyway, they, they're on Bandcamp, they're on Facebook, so give them a follow, a like, tell them we sent you. Get the Bandcamp app, I love it. Oh yeah? Follow bands on that, that's like the best place to do it. Alright. Before we jump into Testament real quick, should we talk about Lame of God's new album? Because um, we never did. We never did. Uh, and this came out a week and a half ago now. Yeah, I mean, we can... Or do I mean, we really need to? <laughs> I don't know if we need to. Maybe it, maybe it's... Or should we just save that for the next live stream or something? Yeah, let's save it for when... I've I just put it on and listened to it. I am i don't even know what the songs are called with, like, Josta and Chuck Billy on it. I don't I need, know Chuck I need Billy more structured. Roots, I Okay, gotcha. I, I need more structured listening. I mean, I know I love it. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Well, speaking of Chuck Billy, since we're talking about Testament... He's kind of been doing guest spots. It's like his third one, I think, in the past year, right? Because, I mean, he did that one with Kill Switch. Yeah, that's right. And then he did one with uh, someone else before Lamb of God, I thought. But I, I should have like looked that up first, but it just popped in my head. Right. But it seems like any time he does a guest spot, it's like the best song on the album. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But in Lamb of God's case, there's a couple other songs up there. But like I said, we'll talk about that. Later on. Exactly. Titans of Creation is the name of the new album from Testament. It came out almost three, I think it was the beginning of April. And I, I didn't dig through my list, but if it's not, if it's not my favorite album of 2020 so far, it's the top three. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's, Uh, it's definitely, I mean, my top three might include Night Flight Orchestra and Body Count. Yeah. You know, but I, I, I put this a little above body count, so I think this is the best metal album of the year so far. Uh, so far, I mean, yeah. it's it's a it's a scorcher. Yeah, the vocals, uh, the riffs, uh, the solos, obviously, 
Testament have just continued, uh, you know, in their, in their kind of resurgence, they've just continued to put out just top notch metal. Yeah. I mean, it's un, it's unreal. Like there's just not a, there's not a, uh, there's not a clam on anything. I know. And it's like, and like you said, to continue, I mean, since they, these last several albums, I mean, it's not like, oh, this one's significantly better than the last one. It's mm. like they're all, like you said, top-notch, like Dark Roots of Earth in 2012, and we had Brotherhood of the Snake in 2016. That was a great one. The Formation of Damnation in 2008. It's amazing. Yeah. And there's so much memorable shit on here. Not just, oh, that's a cool riff, and man, the production is amazing, or whatever. There's melody, and there's hook, and yeah. you know these courses that get stuck in your head. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that speaks volumes. It really does. Yeah, and like you like you mentioned the riffs. I mean, there's so many throughout these songs. It's like, where do they just keep coming up with this? Stuff, I know, you know throughout I know. all these thirty five hour long many years later, and and something that I didn't realize that you know because I don't have a physical copy yet on this new record. Uh, Alex Skolnick helps out with lyrics. I yeah. thought that was really fucking cool. Yeah, like I I looked that up and found that out. There was two songs that he's. The lyrics are solely his. That's great. And uh, most of the time, that's all Chuck Billion, and sometimes Eric Peterson's in there as well. But yeah. you know, Eric Peterson, you know, is generally the main songwriter. Yeah, he's the riffmeister. And, you know, Alex and Chuck will come in and add stuff sometimes, but, of course, their solos and vocals, whatever, you know that. But, I mean, this, this album just, like, is relentless. And the first, I mentioned this on a live stream, like, right after it came out, like, the first four songs alone are, like, some of the like the greatest four opening songs in a metal album in a long time. Yeah, it's insanity. And going through it, you know, City of Angels, The Healers, what else? Symptoms. This whole thing, you know, I don't have to list all these songs. Just look it up. They're Titans of Creation. If you have not yet, you're missing out. Anyway, Alex talks a bit, quite a bit about it here in this interview, so let's just get into it. Here's Alex Skolnick of Testament. Kind of the first thing we wanted to bring up were the uh, the rush videos that you did with Charlie and Raw Diaz. Like, how did that whole idea come together? Who you know who started the idea? And um, yeah, I'll give total credit to Charlie on that. Okay, <laughs> yeah, he's been uh, sort of the quarantine video king right. lately. Um, he's been cranking out about one a week. It's been pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, he started with uh, just duos with him and Ra. And then when they first wanted to add guitar, they talked to me about doing doing Rush. And um, we did a total of four. And, um, yeah, the, they really took off. It'd be really... Uh, kind of reached a fan base beyond all of our bands, which was pretty amazing, especially the YYZ video, which kind of started it all. Right, right. And and that was kind of one of the things was it seems like, you know, Getty and Neil always seem to get a bit more praise and rush. 
how understated uh, do you think Alex Lifeson is to uh, to Rush? Yeah, well, you can't you can't have the uh, those songs without his parts. I yeah, mean, they're they're essential. And um, on some of them, I you know I threw in little little bits of my own sound. I tried to keep his signature licks, but I I always like you know a little bit of. Um, personality and not just especially because you know i'm a professional player on my own and uh it's it's also you know it's it's me playing it as well but of course you know you get the occasional purists you know who are just diehard rush fans that <laughs> don't want to hear any but the majority the vast majority were super supportive right um the very the most recent one we did, which was uh, Red uh, Barchetta. Um, that one was tough to um, to stray from. That really had to be played note for note, and that one has very specific tones too. So that required a lot of extra work. But I didn't. I didn't get any complaints about that. One, so. <laughs> good. Good. Yeah, that's, like, how does the process on those Zoom-style videos work? Do you guys all perform together live and then work on the, the video afterwards, or do you all record your parts separately and someone put everything together? Yeah, we have somebody that um, compiles all the, all the videos. So it's, it's a little bit like making the record. When we did the YYZ one, it was very new, though. Um, it was the pandemic had just started. And everybody was still in shock and looking for ways to make music. And my phone was ringing off the hook. And then emails with people asking, how did you do that? What platform? People thought we had this magic platform. <laughs> uh, we were very secretive about it, too. <laughs> we, weren't, well, we weren't telling anybody how we were doing it. I think now a lot of folks have caught on. Because you're seeing a lot more of these types of videos, but the way you do it is, uh, you know, you, you, this, it's just like making a recording. You know, you start, you do it, you do it in layers. So you don't, you're not playing the music all at the same time, but the drums, yeah, the drums are usually the first instrument, and then each person plays along. And then you film the video, and um, you. In our case, I think with with most of our videos, if if not all, uh, we would film ourselves while uh, tracking the same piece that you would you were hearing. So I think that's that's partly what made it uh, extra realistic. A lot of people do these videos; they do the recording, and then they. Um, Tape, they film themselves playing along with the recording, which is fine. You now it's another way to do it, but it's, it's. I think it's even more effective if you're filming the the same music while you're recording. Right. Kind of a side note to that: Have you seen any videos like your guys or any live streams from other artists that you've enjoyed through this pandemic, or is that something that you've paid attention to at all? Oh, I mean, there's so many. There's just too too many to keep track of. Really. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, it's you almost know, like a daily a, thing now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's more than you can watch. Um, there's a guy I grew up with, uh, Charlie Hunter, who's a great eight-string guitarist. And he's he's done a lot of these really funky ones. There's another one, uh, Greg Koch, great guitar player. Um, and then uh, another, another recent one, my friend... Uh, Phil Demmel, who's the former guitarist for Machine Head, he did one with uh, Steve DiGiorgio, my current bass player for Testament, and Dirk from Megadeth. And they did um, one of the Black Sabbath songs with Dio oh, and right. with violin and keyboard. And it just, that came, that, that, that was really nice. Wow, yeah, I hadn't seen that one. I'll look up that. Geezer Butler himself approved of, of that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you need. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and then I'll mention one other one I did. Uh, I, I did a couple of uh, Queen songs. Because um, well, yeah, Brian May was putting out these uh, clips of himself jamming. And I did one, uh, the song Hammer to Fall. Yeah. And Jeff Scott Soto is in that. And he's a friend of Brian's and uh sent it to him and brian shared it online and specifically noted the guitar soloists and uh it was really cool i'll have to look that one up too for sure yeah i always thought uh soto would have been a great guy in that that role for you know what adam lambert and paul rogers have done yeah i think he did at one point but okay. uh i sort of i think they sort of found a home with uh, Adam Lambert. Yeah. Titans of Creation, you know, came out here a few couple months ago. And do you think that the album coming out right before the shutdown due, the, due to the pandemic, you know, having the lack of being able to tour in support of it or anything will affect, you know, the album getting out there to fans? Or do, or do you think that's kind of not really an issue these days with everything being digital? Um. Yeah, unfortunately, there's no way around it. Um, you know, just the the excitement that happens when you tour behind a record is uh, not going to happen. At, th at the same time, you know, a lot of people have been stuck home listening to music. So yeah, right. so yeah, I think it's sort of a, a double edged sword. I think uh, that. Yeah, the record was very well received and it was very welcome from fans. Yeah, you know, a great way to help deal with um, being stuck at home. It was a new Testament record. Just Testament records don't come out that often. At yeah. the same time, it's always better if you can go out on tour to help promote the record, which didn't happen. But uh, hopefully that will at some point. Definitely. Well, uh, for this record, and, and, you know, really, I guess it could be a general question, you know, are your solos off the cuff, uh, or do you, are they more thought out, or is it kind of a little of both? Uh, it's uh, definitely a little of both. Yeah. I can always, I can usually tell when a solo is very worked out, and I'm, I'm more of a fan of... of there being a, like a some spontaneous quality. Yeah, I could always hear it in the classic Van Halen solos, for example. 
that even though, you know, he may have uh, worked him out in some form or played it live, there, you just always got the sense that it, it, it happened that way in the studio. And it might happen. And, yeah, even hearing him live, you, it, things would get changed up. So I try, yeah, I try to, I try to blend. I usually start off the cuff. I, I, I record before I even go into the control room. I spend some time on my own and I record some off the cuff solos and then pick out the best parts. And then once I have a solo, which is sort of like a composition, then I, I don't, I, then I allow myself um, to improvise within that framework. So I usually will write something out, but I won't stick with it too much. And usually each, each take I play is slightly different with some recognizable parts. And then whichever one I choose is, you know, the one that comes out the best. Right. When do you know you're done as in, you know, like this needs more, or I think this is it. Uh, you know, how, how does the self editing go? Well, sometimes that can be really difficult. Mm-hmm. You, there might be a super challenging lick in there that's, you know, you, you very, that'll be very impressive for guitar fans. But the rest of the solo might not be as good as the one that is just a little more relaxed and just works better compositionally. So I, it's it's often really good to have an outside set of ears, right? Like I've always admired people who can produce themselves. It's it's a, it's a really tough thing to do because it's such a different headspace. Uh, but ultimately, yeah, I need to you know record a, a bunch of different options and listen to those those op- options. But usually, the final one is the one that you know, has the best, um, the best qualities and the best combination of qualities. It has to be compositional. It has to fit the song. You also have to be happy with the technique, but it's not, it it can't have technique at the expense of all the other qualities. You know, Chuck is usually credited with, you know, most of the lyrics and the music and every once in a while, you've got songs in there and there's a couple on this album is, you know, Chuck always open to just taking your lyrics as is, or does he ever want to put his own spin on it? Or how's that work? Oh, it's, it's a little both. I think, um, well, with the song code of Hammurabi, I really, uh, I came up with the, the subject matter and the, the timing I came up with a guide vocal, but we, for the lyrics, we actually sat down together because he, he has a pretty good idea of what he likes to sing. And then for the song, um, symptoms, we tried a few different things and then it was tough to, uh, settle on, on a vocal pattern for that. Um, if I remember right, he originally tried uh, writing with um, Zetro, who he sometimes co-writes with yeah. for lyrics. 
and they you know and they've come up with some some very good stuff i think for this song though it, i i felt like they were really it was too um it was very close to the music it was very like almost following the riff and i, I was wanting to hear something that more you know complemented the riffs and was kind of um it independent of the riffs so that yeah that vocal pattern took took a while to write uh, and actually i worked on that with, with eric as well and eric threw some uh words at me and um a couple of the phrases in the vocal pattern uh we, we worked on that together well, you know, having worked in two distinct eras, uh, you know, what what do you like about today's technology when it comes to recording an album, uh, you know, compared to the early days? Yeah, I, you know, Testament got started just as um, digital recording was beginning, and it wasn't even in the studios yet. Yeah, you, know, you were, we were, I guess we were at the tail end of the uh, the analog era. And I, I think what was good about that period was that you had to be able to play. It was much harder to manipulate songs in the studio. There was a whole process. I never even learned how to do it, where you would take the tape and move to a whole separate machine and use a razor blade yeah the slide tape this is how you would do an edit back in, in those days and i so while i didn't do that myself i watched several um recording engineers do that and it was a big deal it was you could do edits but they were a big deal and i think it was really good to learn how to play and learn how to record in the era where you really couldn't uh, change things that much in the studio. It was much more of a challenge. At the same time, the convenience of the technology is amazing. So I think one of the reasons why um, you know, Testament had this resurgence you know, with some really strong sounding records of you know the last few years is that the you know the band ha has this ability to play live that, yeah. that goes back to those days yet we now have the um you know the luxury to use the technology so we can do edits but we're not dependent on it and i do think some bands not all but some bands that grew up in the era of all this easy to use technology uh, become a little dependent on it. And there, there was, there are some albums where to me, it's very obvious that they edited it. Like mm -hmm. I can hear that they, what they did on the third verse is exactly what they did on the first verse. <laughs> and I can tell that they cut and pasted it. And that that's, I don't like, I, I, I notice those things. I know not everybody notices those things, but, um, so I like the convenience of it, but, 
um, I like uh, not being dependent on it. Right. Well, uh, shifting gears a little bit, uh, maybe going back a little bit. Um, you know, when you when you set out into the jazz world, was that daunting? Uh, was there resistance, or you know, maybe a little liberating? A little of both, and I didn't um, jump into it right away. Uh-huh. I, I I was very realistic about it. This is one of the reasons I uh, kept a low profile for a number of years and just focused on you know, learning to play jazz guitar as best I could. I... I realize that it's it's so um, it requires so much dedication. So I could either just not do it, <laughs> which is what you know, most people I, I knew <laughs> would do, or just say, you know what? Okay, I'm dropping everything, <laughs> and I'm going <laughs> to 100 percent focus on this uh, indefinitely for a number of years and that that's that's what I did and yes it was daunting and there were many times it felt like I was starting over uh, I also I certainly got <clears throat> resistance in the um, metal world because you know it was kind of considered a, a crazy thing it was, yeah. metal, it was a very exclusive club back then um, they didn't just let anybody in and then once you were in you were expected to be loyal and uh, the last thing you would do is you know, play a different genre of music especially you know jazz <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, now thankfully I, I think that's changed a lot um, I think you know, people there's a whole new generation of listeners now they're much more open-minded. They're not as exclusive. There are different artists now that dabble in other music or even play it professionally that also play metal. It's not, it's not this big shock, but I think, I think it definitely was. Um, and ironically, the people I felt the least resistance from were, you know, the, members of the, the jazz community that I got to know as I was yeah. doing more and more jazz. Now maybe um, even within the jazz world, there's, there's so many different circles and types of music and circles that don't necessarily get along. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, I can't just say, Oh yeah, I, I got along with, with everybody and was accepted by, but I, you know, I was accepted by some yeah, real like lifelong jazz people, which was great. And then once I came back to playing metal in like the mid O's, everybody was shocked because at that point I'd been doing jazz for so long. <laughs> the idea of me stepping back into it was a shock, but I, <laughs> I, I always like to do what's um, unpredictable. Right. At that point, it was very interesting for me because I I had the freedom, whenever I wanted to, to you know strap on a um, hollow body jazz box guitar through a vintage Fender amp and play that style and, and work with piano players and horn players if I wanted to. 
but I could also play, you know, with a, a loud metal band. And it, it was really just, you know, not, not being limited, I think, was really what, what I wanted. The opposite side of resistance, when you did those shows early on, did you come across anybody in the crowd that was there just because you were Alex Skolnick from Testament, like any metal guys that came out to the shows? Yeah, well, that still happens sometimes. Yeah, I still, I still see uh, metal fans that come when I tour with my trio. We our most recent tour was in in Europe last year, but it's fun, you know. It it, it gets them to experience something different. It's a different type of musical experience that some of them just haven't been turned on to. You know, going to a show where it's not standing room only. There's no mosh pit. You sit at a table. <laughs> you relax. You listen. You listen intent, intensively. You know, you're not distracted by all the uh, commotion of the crowd. And it's just a different way of experiencing music. So, it's, yeah, sometimes it's fun to see guys show up in uh, a metal shirt whether it's Testament or Megadeth or anybody else. And they, you know, they enjoy this different type of experience. And I've, I've seen that often. I've, sometimes the next time they show up, they, they look like they fit in. <laughs> <laughs> and they look like a patron of the jazz club that just has longer hair. Right. <laughs> Talking about the early days again, just, a few months ago, Murder in the Front Row came out. Like, what was your thoughts on seeing that, like, completed and your involvement with it and everything? Oh, yeah. I'm just very grateful that this happened. Um, Adam Dubin, who directed the film, he's a great filmmaker, video artist, and he just believed in it. And it's it's just amazing to see. You know, it's this period of time that spawned a, f a few well-known bands. Testament's one of them. Uh, one of the well, you know, one of the biggest bands in the world, metal or otherwise, is Metallica. They were mm -hmm. originally a part of that. And the, but still, those early days are just not that well documented. All you have really are people talking about them in interviews um, and just our our memories. Now, when the book came out by Brian Liu and Harold O, Murder in the Front Row, there were so many photographs that just instantly you know, recalled so many memories. For those of us that were there, it certainly took us right back. But the film does, does it you know, even more so. Yeah. So it, it's a really great way to not only show the scene that spawned all these bands, but also like those of us who grew up there in that time and place. It's just a great way to share it with somebody who is unfamiliar. It's just that well captured. And all of us who were there just love the film and we've, we, we love sh sharing it with, with people. Was there anything that anyone else said in the film or, you know, that you didn't know or that you learned by watching it? Yeah, well, there really, you know, there were a lot of things I didn't know about, you know, about everybody else. 
Right. Everybody else's story. You know, I didn't know that um, there was a, like the record store in Southern California in the suburbs where James Hetfield would go <laughs> and order records by mail. You know, that was his version of uh, our place, which was called the Record Vault. And um, I had been to the record vault but also at the time i'd been there i didn't i didn't know how important it was i knew it, oh it you know it was this one small store in san francisco that that sold heavy metal records that i'd never seen anywhere else but i was still in high school at the time and i didn't know that you know motorhead had been there and done in stores and i didn't know and i didn't know it was the only store like that Mm -hmm. I figured, you know, this, you know, maybe every city has a place like this. Maybe this is a, a new thing. I didn't, so yeah, I didn't know how rare it was. Yeah. And just, you know, finding, you know, people that, you know, I got, got to know later in life um, where they were at that time. Yeah. You know, Brian Pussain, for example, the comedian. Yeah. You know, I've gotten to know him. He's a, big music fan and he's he's come to concerts and i'm a fan of his comedy but yeah i didn't know you know he he went he was in the audience at some of the shows that uh that we played back in those days and, and so yeah hearing everybody tell their stories and it's yeah it was just amazing of course one of the the big bands from that era was slayer and their involvement with you know, that documentary. And then of course you guys turn with them on their final tour. Like once the live scene picks back up, do you think there'll be any impact from Slayer not being a part of the metal scene? Or do you think someone else will just fill that spot and it won't really be affected? Um, I think uh, it's, I think things are going to be very different now and not because of Slayer retiring. You, you have Slayer has to be the, you know, ha the luck in a way, the luckiest band in the world. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. They retired just in time, <laughs> just before the whole industry shut down. So I think whatever happens once concerts start up again, whenever that is, we don't even know when that is. Um, it won't be, it'll be affected by the shutdown much more than by Slayer's retirement. Mm -hmm. Do you have any reservations about getting back out there, or I mean, are you ready when the time comes? Um, I'll I'm ready when it's safe. Yeah, yeah, you know, when there's vaccine and when we we can do it responsibly. Um, I'm shocked by people that are clamoring to open up and get back to normal, and any you know people who don't want to wear a mask yeah. and now you're seeing the, the rate of people being infected rising like crazy. And it's just, I'm, it's, it's pretty shocking. Yeah. Uh, and I, yeah, I don't, I don't want to mess with that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to get sick. I don't want to get anybody else sick. So, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, We've had 
pandemics before, not in our lifetimes. Right. But they, they happen every hundred years or so. And uh, then you get past it. So we'll be past it at some point. And once we are definitely past it, um, we'll be more than ready to get back to live music, but not before that. Definitely. I guess one last thing uh, we kind of wanted to touch on, uh, you know, your uh, photography, Skullnix Picks, Instagram, and, uh, you know, uh, I know you've been spotted out at shows sometimes taking pictures of the crowd and stuff like that. Uh, what got you started into that, and uh, how's that as an outlet? Oh, that's been that's been amazing. That's, yeah, uh, that's one of the few things that well, a lot of a lot of things uh, haven't been planned. So, so yeah, initially, I when I started on guitar, yeah, I planned to either start or join a band and play rock concerts. So I, I knew I was going to do that, but, um, just like my interest in jazz guitar came very naturally and finding my trio, same, same thing came very naturally. Uh, finding photography, it was something I, I hadn't planned. I took some photos on tour, you know, with the, you know, phone cameras have gotten better. And as phone cameras have gotten better, professional cameras have gotten much better. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, well, having traveled so much these last few years, I think that there was already a, uh, a seed planted to try to like better capture these, um, these experiences going to these places. Now the, what really, pushed me into professional level photography was uh, Randy from Lamb of God, who is a, a fantastic photographer who can, you know, he's, he's at a level where, you know, he, he I think he could quit his day job if he wanted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like he's that good. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he encouraged me to get a professional camera, loaned me one of his. And I, I noticed, yeah, it's a real difference. It's, and it's inspiring too. It's just like um, when I made a decision to get my jazz guitar playing together, I I got a vintage Gibson guitar that inspired me to do it. And L five, you know, and um, it's it's the same thing. It's like you know, if you have um, equipment that inspires you, that I. I think that helps. It's it's a really good incentive. So, I uh, yeah, I brought I I so I I graduated to professional camera. I took it with me on the last um, year and a half or so of touring. And um, I, I think after about a half a year, things really started to come together, and I was just. Just as we were going to places like uh, Katmandu in Nepal, and uh, but I've never been before. Uh, but then the traveling stopped <laughs> <laughs> and the whole shutdown. Um, at the same time, I, I live in New York, so I live in a very fascinating place to be. 
Yes. Uh, with <laughs> a photographer. So I've uh, the last few months I've, I've focused on the emptiness out in the, the streets, going you know Coney Island, totally empty. Um, the, all the bridges totally empty. And then uh, the last few weeks, social, social unrest came. <laughs> so um, <laughs> it's been, you know, it's every few days or so I get on my bike and I'll go to uh, a protest and photograph the protest. And they're, they're pretty amazing. I mean, these are some of the uh, biggest protests in, in the country. So it feels like, just in time, I developed these skills like just in time to document history, right? So it's a really cool um, uh, supplement to what my creative work in addition to music. Is that something you'd ever consider putting out as a book or something? Uh, yeah, yeah, I have no solid plans, but uh. I started a photography website and um, already have sold a few prints, which is a new thing, which is, which is really cool that I sign. And the the response has been really good. Even uh, I've been getting some great encouragement from photographers that have been doing this a lot longer. And um, yeah, I, I plan to continue with it well, wherever it leads, whether it's a book or uh, or who knows. Well, man, we appreciate you taking the time with us this evening. Okay, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on, you guys. There you go, Alex Skolnick of Testament, and of course the Alex Skolnick Trio as well. A huge thank you to Carla from Kid Logic Media, and of course a massive thank you to Alex for. Spending nearly 40 minutes there talking to us about all kinds of stuff. A little badass. Yeah. Great stuff. Yeah, I can't ask for more. Right. I was thinking about it like actually while we were talking to him and he was talking about the jazz stuff and people showing up. Remember he was playing, Alex Skolnick Trio was playing at South by Southwest when we were there? Oh God, were they? But like I actually, I went over there. I assume you were with me. Someone was with me. It was one of those years that... It was probably packed out and to the yeah, gills. Like the line was like around the corner yeah. and there was like no getting in at least by the time he played probably because we just showed up late. But anyway. Jeez. And I, I remember, I think that's why I asked that because I remember that line that seemed like there, half the line was like metal dudes, you know? Oh, probably. <laughs> yeah. And that was probably, what, 2002, 2004, I right. remember one of those years yeah. before he came back full-time to Testament. Too bad I don't remember that shit. <laughs> well, we didn't see the show, so. Yeah, true. But we have seen Testament multiple times as recent as, what, 2018, a couple of the Slayer shows. Man, you remember that, that time we saw him? Open for Anthrax in, in Wichita. That was it, one of the best yes. shows I've that seen. That was one of the ever. best shows ever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, dude. Uh, at the Cotillion. That was great. I think John Tempesta was still on the drums, right? I think so. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I remember we got there right as Testament was going on. And yeah, we, we just like, out. we just walked right through there and stood right in front of Alex Skolnick. Yeah. You know, watching him play guitar. Yeah. It was a fucking great show. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. Can't. Definitely can't complain about that. And Testament, like we mentioned up front, all their work in recent, like the last four albums are spectacular. All their albums, they don't really, 
can't, you know, there's no low points. There's not a, there's not a risk in their catalog. There's not a St. Anger in their catalog. No, uh-uh. Going back, you know, all the great 80s stuff and 90s stuff, so dig through it if you haven't. And like I said, this new album is definitely going to be near the top of our list when we do our best of 2020, I'm sure. Of course. Well, if this is your first time listening, because you're a fan of Testament, we've had on Dave Elfson from Megadeth, Chris Broderick, formerly of Megadeth. He's with Active Defiance and In Flames now. James Lomenzo used to be in Megadeth. And then we've had on Ted Aguilar from Death Angel. Yes. Who else thrash-wise have we had on? I think that might be the only ones from the back in the heyday. Right. And then, but we've had on bands like you know, new era bands like, well, just last week, we had on Joel Grind from Toxic Holocaust. Right. Battlecross. Yeah. Insight. Uh, yeah, Insight. I'm sure I'm forgetting something obvious. Um, you, you know, Crowbar, if you like Crowbar. Yeah. That's a little I was just trying to think sludgier, but yeah, I get it. I get it. COC, you know. Yeah. Those guys, Prong, Sons of Texas, uh, White Zombie. Right. Um, we had on Ivan, who was the original drummer of White Zombie recently. We've had on, you know, all kinds of stuff. Seven Dust, Shine Down, Gene Simmons from Kiss, Vivian Campbell from Def Leppard and Dio. The list is pretty long now because, as you can see, this is the 273rd episode. Last week, we also had on a couple guys from the band called Healing the Fray. Used to be in Frank Hannon's solo band. We've also had on Frank Hannon here a couple times. So, if you like your melodic rock and your glam rock, we've had on a bunch of those guys as well. So... Look through everything, soundcloud.com backslash thunderdash underground, Google Music, iTunes, most everywhere you can find podcasts except for Spotify. Follow us on all our socials. If you go to thethunderunderground.com, there's links for all of them. Follow us, like us, however that social lets you do. Uh, YouTube, subscribe there. We put out a lot of videos. Havoc recently, if you like Thrash. About a month ago, we had a review of one of, the, of their new album. But yeah, so follow us on all the socials. Share us. We appreciate all that help. Check us out most Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Central on Facebook Live. And yeah, I think that kind of covers all that stuff. Yep. All right. Once again, a massive thank you to Alex Skolnick for talking to us today. And of course, as always, thank you to DEB Concerts. Med Farm, and Sunset Tattoo. Until next time. Where are you guys located, by the way? Tulsa, Oklahoma. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. 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 Place. With all the fun last weekend, yeah. <laughs> all the excitement. Yeah. Yeah. Neither one of us were down uh, there, though, so. We're... <laughs> yeah. I knew. <laughs> Thunder Underground, y'all. <laughs>